0: Well, it is good to see you this evening as we gather around for this Christmas candlelight service. And I invite you to take your Bibles, if you will. We're going to spend some time working through again our journey to Christmas. We have been journeying through all of the Christmas accounts from the Old Testament saints uh, to Zechariah and Elizabeth to then the angels to Mary and Joseph. And now we have arrived at what the Trinity has to do with Christmas. And it is an important time for us as we dig into this and we come and wonder, and that is our challenge tonight, is to come and wonder. It is a special night as we celebrate Christmas tomorrow and the recognition of everything that Christmas has, but we want to be found faithful in understanding the true meaning of Christmas and what it is that the Spirit of God was doing in that special night. One author has written this. He wrote, May every light that glistens in every Christmas tree, may every decoration we hang for all to see, may all our old traditions we choose to carry on, the memories we cherish, remind us of the one. That is our hope and our desire and our study tonight. And so I encourage you to ask the Lord's blessing with me as we begin this portion of our service in a word of prayer. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we do thank you and praise you that tonight we are able to bow our heads in a warm and comfortable auditorium, that we have the opportunity to spend time in your word and really to understand how you viewed those nights, that night rather, where Christ was born. Lord, we understand as we do this that this is a daunting task and one that we will not find its completion to. In fact, we will spend all of eternity understanding and growing in our knowledge and yet never quite comprehending. Lord, we praise you that every element of Christmas should remind us that we are to look beyond the manger, to look to the Lord God of heaven and earth, that we should stand in awe of your wondrous deeds. Or tonight as we conclude our journey to Christmas and we prepare to Engage in the family traditions that will be tomorrow. We ask your blessing upon this evening. We pray that your name would be glorified as we seek to understand better of how you viewed these moments, how you viewed even the shepherd's arrival, how you have viewed Mary and Joseph, how the angels would proclaim that which was commanded to them to proclaim, and yet a reminder of the majestic glory displayed for us. So tonight I pray that you would give us understanding hearts and that we would be those who will boldly, passionately live out Christ tomorrow and in the days to come. That Christ would be the proclamation of our voices and our lifestyle, our behaviors, that your name would be exalted, high and lifted up. I praise you for those who have assembled here tonight. You've given them good voice as we have sung these carols together. And I pray now that we would give do attention to your word, to glorify you in these few moments. Lord, we love you and we thank you for Christ. We thank you that he has come, born born as a baby, born in the manger in a lowly estate, to be the perfect Passover lamb of God. Lord, we love you and we thank you for it, and it is in his name that we pray it. Amen. We turn first to the New Testament as we begin all the way back before the dawn of time. Before the dawn of time, we are asking the question tonight of what is it that the Lord thinks of this moment of the birth of Christ? And before the dawn of time, we recognize that there is grace with love. Second Timothy is where we begin, and so I invite you to turn there for just a moment. We're going to dwell here, 2 Timothy, as we are given some instructions To begin with here, this Christmas season, we have considered from various perspectives those who have participated in the first Christmas. Tonight, we are seeking to understand the role of the Trinity in that first Christmas. And therefore, it is most appropriate for us to start where Timothy is instructed in the second letter that is sent to him by the Apostle Paul. And Paul says this, beginning in verse 9 of chapter 1 in 2 Timothy. He says these words, who saved us, and let me back up to verse 8. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to his holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. The Christmas events for the Trinity started before there was a creation. Before the foundations of the earth were laid, there was a direction and a purpose that would send Christ to be born as a baby, born in a manger, to demonstrate the grace of God to a generation and to a race who was graceless, to people who knew no grace, Before the dawn of time, the plan was to send Christ as the demonstration of the true grace and mercy of God. Paul reinforces the aim and the purpose of his ministry by pointing to this very grace. It was Paul's aim to be that which was an outflow of the mercy and grace that was demonstrated when Christ came as a baby. To be born as a lamb, or to to die as a lamb. The grace of God is the theme of Christmas. It is the theme of every Christmas, not just this Christmas. It is the theme of every Christmas. But it has been the theme since before the world was made. And that begins to draw our attention to what we studied, or what we heard of, rather a few moments ago, right before I came forward, as we recognize that there's something unique about this child in the fact that before the foundations of the earth were laid, and Paul speaks of this in Ephesians as well, saying that you were chosen before the foundations of the earth were laid. But how was that possible unless this child was also the creator? And so through our study, as we have been working through the journey to Christmas, we have understood Jesus and the various positions and places that he has served and will continue to serve, and one of those is as the creator and we just read from John chapter 1, and in John chapter 1, we are reminded of Jesus being the one who would come, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, John 1, 14. And we're reminded that this is the one, this one who was the creator of the world, who existed before eternity passed, would then take on flesh, as we studied this morning in Philippians chapter 2, to become like one of us. To die in our place to demonstrate the grace of God. We also turn and if you are in, still in Second Timothy, turn back a couple books to Colossians, where again these truths are developed for us. Colossians chapter one verses fifteen and sixteen. The Scripture says he is in the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Paul, in the letter to the church at Colossae, reminds those believers there in this church that their Savior is their creator and their sustainer. The one who holds all things together. Not only was this the plan that Christ would demonstrate grace with love from before the foundations of the earth and before the dawn of time, but it would be the very creator who breathed life into Adam that would come to die in our place as our sacrifice. And then to hold all things together. The plan before time was the death of Jesus for the creation that he had made his own handiwork this was not only the work of christ but we understand all members of the trinity the triune god were involved in the creation the birth of jesus the resurrection of jesus and the work of redemption all done in the fullness of the trinity And so when we begin to ask the question, what does Christmas mean to the Trinity? We must recognize that this was a long-awaited event. This was laid out before the foundations of the earth were laid. This was the plan from long ago, and it has not been thwarted. It has not been delayed. It has not been uh, derailed in any sense. And so when we comprehend what it means to the Trinity, we must recognize that this was not by accident. This was not plan B. The coming of Christ was not because man had messed it up and God needed some time to reorganize and reposition. The plan from before Adam and Eve were created was that Christ would come and die to demonstrate the grace of God. And this was done in the fulfillment of promise. And again we read this morning or this just a few moments ago in Genesis chapter 3 verse 15. That at the same time as the judgment of the first sin, as the Lord begins to curse the serpent, he makes a promise. And the promise is that the seed or the offspring of the woman would crush the head of the serpent or the head of Satan. The promise is narrowed again in Genesis chapter 12. And as we heard in Genesis chapter 22, where it would be through the line of Abraham, specifically Isaac, that this promise would be fulfilled and that all the nations of the earth would be blessed. So from very early on, we must understand that the anticipation was building. And can you imagine, as we have undertook a study of the angels and understood their role in the Christmas narrative, and can you imagine them being able to see and witness these events as they unfold, and the magnificence of the Creator God who has taken an interest in fallen, sinful beings. And yet, under each step, journeying to the Christmas narrative and its unfolding events, the angels seem more as they've longed to look into the issues of salvation. And again, these promises would be further defined as coming from the, the line of David, that Jesus would come from the line of David and That specifically he would be born in Bethlehem as we looked into Micah 5 this morning. And also the prophet Isaiah speaking in chapter 7 verse 14 that he would be Emmanuel, God with us. And we will entertain that idea a little more in a few moments. But before we do, let us also understand that Philippians chapter 2. That before he was God with us, he was God with God. He is very God, a very God. Philippians chapter 2. We recognize as Paul, again, speaking and instructing the church now at Philippi, instructs them that he was in the highest heaven. And the scripture reminds us of Luke chapter 2, verse 14, where the angels proclaim glory to God in the highest in this great crescendo, this great event that happens in the fields, near what we have already studied, the Tower of the Sheep, Migdal Erda. From there we began to see the angels proclaim this glorious truth, that glory to God in the highest. The Christmas narrative, though doesn't begin with the angelic pronouncements. It begins in the highest of heavens and the angels merely mimic what has been instructed to them as they glorify God and proclaim the excellencies of the one that they serve and Paul picks up on that in Philippians chapter 2 verse 6 where he says this who though he was in the form of God did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped we discover that the angels proclaim the joy of the highest heavens that Christ is God always will be God, and always has been God. But that he emptied himself by taking on the form, verse 7, of a bondservant. Being born in the likeness of men, verse 8, being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. We discover that from the highest of heavens, Jesus is very God of very God and took action himself, voluntarily becoming human form, being fully God and fully man. The angels proclaim this joy because they have watched these events unfold and they have watched this unrelenting deity that has been on display for them. While Christ would take on flesh it would not be through any removal of deity, any absence of deity, but would be of those would be veiled as, the attribute, as his attributes of deity would take on flesh, and he would still be fully God and fully man. It's important for us to understand this truth that we do not diminish in any way the divinity of Christ. In fact, if you go to Hebrews chapter 1 for a moment... So we'll reflect back on Philippians in just a moment, but Hebrews chapter 1, listen to the writer of Hebrews as he proclaims the excellencies of who Christ is. Verse 1 of chapter 1, he says, Long ago at many times and in many ways God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. It is important as we focus in on verse 3 that we understand that what the writer of Hebrews is saying is that there is no diminishment in the glory of God. There is no diminishment or rift in the Trinity Jesus is fully God, the radiance of the glory of God. I've asked you as we have traversed this journey to Christmas to take yourself out of uh, your own shoes and put yourselves in the sandals of those who have journeyed along the way to Christmas. And now I'm asking you to pull yourself out of even that realm and consider what the angels have observed. That Jesus, who is fully God, that he is God with God, The exact imprints of the Father, the radiance of the glory of God, would take on flesh. And that this would be the plan of all of the ages. This unrelenting deity would take on the form of a bondservant. Christ never ceases to be God, even contained in the body of the little child that would lie in the manger. It's fully God, fully man. The Trinity suffers no rift, it remains complete. There is never a break or a breakdown in the Trinity. To express awe at Christmas is to express awe at the character and the nature of God, never broken, never diminished, yet humbled by the flesh of a bondservant. The Trinity remains faithful. There is no breaking apart. Jesus, when he becomes like one of us, maintains and retains all the elements of his divine nature. These are truths that are difficult for us to comprehend. We will spend the rest of eternity focusing on the magnificence and the majesty that Jesus would come to be like one of us. You and I catch only a small glimpse. The angels have given to us a bit more of that glimpse as they glorify God in the highest. As they proclaim the excellencies, and if you remember when we studied the angels, this was the hosts of angels, and the troop, as one translation says. These are the armaments, the battle lines, as they cry out in victory, hail to the King of kings and Lord of lords, the Trinity at work in the birth of the Savior, who would take on flesh so that you and I may be redeemed. And that leads us to the promise that was the great joy for Joseph as we studied this morning in Matthew's gospel and as the angel recorded for us Isaiah's statement in chapter 7, verse 14, that the child would be Emmanuel and that God would be with us. There are several elements we need to understand here as we dig into this truth briefly. The first is that he is conceived of the Holy Spirit, and we turn back again to Luke 1. Jesus is conceived of the Holy Spirit. Part of the Christmas narrative we, should, we do read, and we should read every year, is the work of the Holy Spirit, but we often skip over. We read these words, but it is sometimes difficult for us to understand, and so we jump over them to get to the rest of the story, as it were. But in Luke chapter 1, we begin to understand that the child that is born of Mary's womb is of the Most High, and that he is one who is from the Spirit of God. And Luke chapter 1, notice again these words that we have read throughout the Christmas story, the Christmas narrative. Verse 28, the angel has come to Mary, and he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. And Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I'm a virgin? And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. It is fascinating to me that we typically skip over this portion of text because this is the angel's answer to Mary's question. How is this going to happen? How will I conceive a child when I have not been with any man. The Spirit's role is dramatic evidence of what the Trinity thinks of the Christmas narrative. The work of the Holy Spirit in these events as miraculous in every way that it is. In fact, as we step one step back, we recognize that the miracle of Conception is evidence of the powerful work of God all of the time. But for the Spirit to perform this work is a wonder beyond our imaginations. And it has fascinated mythologies throughout the ages of human history. But unlike mythology, the person of Christ was demonstrated when he walked, taught, and died for humanity. This was not some figment of imagination this was the work of the Holy Spirit of God doing what only the Spirit of God could do, placing divine in the womb of a virgin girl. We also recognize that not only was Emmanuel evidence of the Spirit's work, that God with us was not only evidence of the Spirit of God's work, but also that which takes place because of the Father, and we turn to John chapter three, to understand Jesus' own words speaking to this issue. First John four, as you're turning to John three, first John four, where John testifies that the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. The Father sent the Son with purpose, and that is the same purpose in which Jesus speaks to as he's speaking to Nicodemus, a very familiar passage to us because John three sixteen is so familiar to us. As Jesus is sharing the truth of who he is to Nicodemus, he says this in verse 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. But verse 17, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Contemplate with me for a moment what it is that the Father... Thinks of Christmas? What does the Father think of these events? Jesus is speaking to Nicodemus at a time when Nicodemus would likely accept Christ as a Savior in this text. For our reflection and for our purposes this evening, we need to understand that the birth of Jesus is the united act of the Trinity. The Spirit conceived the child in Mary's womb as He overshadowed her. The Son obviously plays a significant role as He is the baby. But the Father would send the Son not to condemn the world, but to save. What does the Trinity think? Of Christmas it's easy for you and I to dismiss the Christmas season and we celebrate and you are here so I'm preaching to the choir you're here to celebrate the birth of the Savior and the work that he would do in his death burial and resurrection and so we're focused on these truths of Christ being the Savior of the world but have you dwelt on the truth that the Father loved So much that he viewed the Christmas narrative with the joy of the ages. With a joy that is encapsulated in verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. That whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. We see the evidence of that that love displayed in that lowly manger. We see the evidence of that love displayed in the most humble of states. Not only having taken on the form of a bondservant, but willingly and voluntarily being born in a manger. And so when the angels said to Joseph, That this child's name would be Jesus, who will save his people from their sins. And then the angel said, His name will be Emmanuel, that God is with us. What they were saying is very God of very God. Maintaining his divinity would be God with us. Not similar, not close but God with us. Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7 becomes an important text that we have not looked into this evening, and so I invite you to turn there as we will, this will be our last place to turn tonight. Isaiah chapter 9. Again, a very familiar Christmas text. For us, but one that we want to consider with renewed vision. Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7, the scripture says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. The government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. You see, when we recognize that God is with us, we understand the truth of salvation. At least we understand elements of the truth of salvation. But we must also recognize that there is more to be done, that there is work that is to be completed, fulfillment of promise that must take place. And so we not only, in the first advent of Christ, look backwards, but we look with great anticipation to the rapture of the church and then to Christ's second advent, where he will be the one who will sit on the literal throne of David. And he will fulfill the promises that were given to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. That he would fill the promises that were given to Moses in the Palestinian covenant. And also to Jeremiah in the new covenant. And David, as he would sit on the throne of David. God with us means that God is not done yet. God still has work to do. And he will do that work. And so the majesty and the awe that the angels displayed should motivate our awe and wonder. We should be captivated by the great truth that the miracle of Christmas demonstrates the love of God. And as it demonstrates the love of God, it also demonstrates the completeness that Christ will do all that is promised. The miracle of Christmas is the love of God, demonstrated through the participation of the fullness of the Trinity, displayed from before the foundations of the earth were laid. And our response, our response must be one of awe struck worship. God himself, determined and willed before the foundations of the earth were laid to save rebellious sinners by becoming like His creation. The events of Christmas remind us that we who believe are to be those who are pleasing to the Lord. Jesus speaks of this through a parable in Luke chapter 15, verses 8 through 10. And in verse 10, He says, Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner, Who repents? What is it that the Trinity thought the birth of Christ? Jesus himself captures it. The joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. The joy that the angels expressed in that night before the shepherds was merely a reflection of the joy they had seen the creator of the universe, their creator and our creator, demonstrate and display. Our great God takes joy in the salvation of a sinner. That should capture our awe and our wonder. In human terms, how did the Trinity view the birth of Jesus? I do not believe that we can capture the intensity or the fullness in our finite imaginations of the love of God who would, before time existed ordained to enter into his rebellious creation's human race in the lowest of states, I imagine the angelic host's victory cry rang out through the hillsides, but resounded all the louder in the heavens in praise. Because this was and is the Creator's will. What is left? What is left? Like those who have gone before us, and specifically the psalmist of Psalm 8 Let us be those who proclaim these words. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place. What is man that you are mindful of him? And the son of man that you care for him? Beloved, this Christmas season, let us be those who contemplate the thoughts of the Trinity, regarding the birth of the Savior of the world. This reveals God who is unknowable and yet knowable. And it takes our eyes off of our own belief in our significance and it replaces it with a heart of worship. Let us be those who are worshipers indeed, and in truth we have the opportunity to look ahead as we partake in the Lord's table in the next few moments. And so I encourage you, as I close this time in a word of prayer, I encourage you to prepare your hearts for this celebration, this ordinance of the church as we look back, reflecting on what is the Trinity view of the birth of Christ. It does not end at the birth of Christ. The Trinity... And its work in Christ in the flesh would be completed when Christ was victorious over sin and death. There is more to come in the new kingdom. But we long to look forward to that second advent. And as we do so, we are reminded to take the Lord's table together. And so let me close this time in a word of prayer as we prepare our hearts for this ordinance together. Let us pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we praise you and we thank you. For this Christmas Eve night in which we have the opportunity to celebrate the great joy of Christ come, laid in a manger, taking on the form of humanity, never ceasing to be God, very God of very God, and now never ceasing to be very man of very man having taken on the flesh, that he would be the perfect sacrifice for a sinful, rebellious human race. Lord, as we contemplate these truths of what you view of the Christmas narrative, may we always be captivated by the wonder and the awe. That along with the angels, we would proclaim the excellencies of the victory that is guaranteed. As the angelic hosts, the armament of angels, has gathered together to sing, to proclaim, to shout, glory to God in the highest. May this be our proclamation, this and every year, while you tarry. Lord, as we prepare to partake in the Lord's table together, I pray that we would take this table in a manner that is pure before you, recognizing the cost that was paid, that was sacrificed for us. So, Lord, this is of great joy and privilege for us this evening. And we ask that your name would be glorified in this ordinance of the church practiced this evening together. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.